HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. This is our 288th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an award-winning bartender, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off, my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to embrace competition. Yes, it's okay, or rather healthy, to be competitive and strive to be and do our best. Competition keeps us motivated. It challenges us to reach our potential and ultimate greatness. So let's get in the game and compete as it's the only way to win. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really happy to have my guest joining me. It is Adam Fournier. He is a West Coast-based bartender who was named the 2021 U.S. Bartender of the Year by the United States Bartenders Guild Presents World Class, sponsored by Diageo. Adam's experience includes running the bar programs at Los Angeles venues, including Steingarten LA, Ariel Restaurant, and the award-winning Faith and Flower. In 2018, he was one of the opening bar managers at the Nomad Los Angeles, which was named Time Out LA's best new bar in Los Angeles, among many other accolades. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to, to hear uh, all about your career and and this bartending competition that you won. <laughs> so yeah, um, kicking it off with some competition. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So um, let's go back a bit. If you could tell me uh, where you grew up and when you decided you wanted to pursue a career in the hospitality industry. 
Uh, absolutely. So I am originally from Pennsylvania. I grew up right along Lake Erie. Uh, and I went to school in upstate New York. Uh, then I moved out here to California after graduating with a BFA in theater, which perfectly explains why I'm a bartender. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I uh, I got my start in the hospitality industry uh, when I was a teenager. I started my best friend started waiting tables at a local place. Uh, and over the summer, I joined him for that, and it was good money while I was going to school. And uh, as I was doing that, I got to watch the bartenders, and bartenders are just cooler than servers. Sorry, that's just <laughs> always the perception of what it was. So uh, as I was continuing on, I was like, wow, I'd really like to get behind the bar. Uh, and I eventually uh, got behind the bar at a local sports bar in my hometown, and then later on at a uh, local downtown spot in Syracuse, New York, where I went to college to help pay my way through that. Moved out to Los Angeles, was part of the entertainment industry for several years. Uh, made a shift, went back to bartending while I was trying to figure out what came next, and it turned out that what came next was bartending. I was very fortunate. I landed at a place and within me being there for two months, being back into bartending, the bar manager left uh, and recommended me to take over the place. So I kind of learned on the job and had a lot of that crash course learning. Thankfully, we were kind of at the start of that or, or midway through the what they like to call the silver age of cocktails now, I guess, the cocktail revolution and renaissance where there were all of these wonderful tools out there to learn and to educate like the Diageo World Class Studios and the Bar Academy uh, and those other resources which have just grown over the years. Uh, they were just a great starting point to be able to say, cool, I am interested. How do I teach myself? How do I keep growing? Uh, and that's where I got started. And I put my nose to the grindstone and kept working and kept moving to different places and trying out new things and kept challenging myself. So what year around are you talking about where you really started bartending as like your profession, just as a reference point? This this would have been uh, about 10-ish years ago. So about a good solid decade. Okay. And then, I mean, from then to now, I mean, this is, I guess, a little loaded question, but how have, have drinks or, or the industry in a sense changed from, from what, you know, uh, what you, the type of cocktails you were making then, or even the type of service? Um, Absolutely. The, the, I mean, the hospitality industry is one of constant change and uh, updating and, and honestly of resilience. It's, it's incredibly multifaceted. And I think that what's really interesting is I've been fortunate enough to be a part of so many different facets of the industry. I don't think of myself as just a bartender. I think of myself as a hospitality professional and educator. I've worked in dive bars. I worked in sports bars. I worked in corporate bars. I worked in hotel bars. I worked in high-end cocktail bars. I, I've gotten a chance to to do a lot of it. And I think the consistent thing that you see across the board is that hospitality is essential. Uh, that's never going to go away. Uh, but I do think that one of the things that has changed out, even outside of uh, the past you know, year, year and a half of, of uh, our industry and the world is the expectation of quality from guests has continued to go up. Uh, guests are more educated, they are more interested, and they have, honestly, more developed palates than they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. I always like to use this as an example. I want you to imagine 
20, 25 years ago, walking into a TGI Fridays and ordering a Negroni. <laughs> like nice. that's not something you would expect it. But I do believe that there is an expectation from guests these days that they can walk into any venue and get a well-made classic cocktail uh, and expect the bartender to know how to execute that. So along those lines, what I've seen in the past 10 years kind of shift is the it used to be very much a focus on only knowing those classics and about trying to uh, teach guests and educate guests and, and build on these uh, classic building blocks. And over the past decade or so, the assumption has become that those building blocks are in place. So people want to see something a little more challenging. Uh, I always like to say I want to give someone a reason to come out and join me at the bar, something you can't get at home. Now, that being said, you need to have those building blocks in place. You, you absolutely need to have your technique down. Um, the way I always think about it is you have to know the rules before you can break them. Yeah. And that is, again, where these like educational platforms like the World Class Studios come in so strongly because not only is it a resource for um, uh, learning those basics, but it's also about building on those and tracking your progress um, and being able to see what trends are coming up and where you've been. Yeah, no, that's a, a good point. I feel you hear, I've heard that example before, even with chefs in the kitchen, like you have to know how to, you know, the you need to know how to make uh, the, you know, how this traditional recipe and then you can play with it um, and put your own interpretation on it. Um, Absolutely. You you can't deconstruct a duck orange if you don't know how to make a duck orange. <laughs> well, you so, could, but yeah. it might be a nightmare. <laughs> exactly. Um, what about, so your experience, I mean, you've, you, I know Faith and Flower and also with the Nomad LA, I've, I, not that long ago, um, interviewed uh, Leo Robichek, um, who's, I, I've known for a while. Uh, my boss. <laughs> yeah, he's um, and I I when I was in L.A. a couple of years ago and I, I just I gave myself a little tour of the new property and it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. But what was your experience like with that? Because I feel that was a big, a really big opening in L.A. It was a massive opening. We opened essentially four different venues simultaneously through this nearly 250 room hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Uh I kind of describe it as uh, a crash course in essentially like um, bar management, bar directing, but also hotel management and, and how to operate multiple venues while also operating with inside of a national and now a, a global organization. It was incredibly exhilarating. It was a lot of long hours, uh, but it was definitely something that really helped me hone my craft in a lot of ways. Because I was uh, and am very self-taught to now be in a situation where it was learning from some of the best of the best in the industry, learning from Leo, learning from the kitchen, learning from the chefs, learning from uh, uh, our sommeliers and our wine director uh, and, and our service managers, just being able to see everyone firing at the top of their game and paying attention to details, like every detail, like right down to how do you stab your tickets uh, uh, from the service rail so that everything presents well. Uh, it was one of those things where it really elevated uh, my skills, my knowledge, and my uh, ability to be hospitable in a way that uh, I don't know if I would have been able to without that. Um, yeah. 
and it was a beautiful space. And again, one of the things that was so much fun about it was that there were so many different venues inside of it. There was the fine dining aspect in that bar. And then there was the more traditional hotel bar. And then there was the poolside bar. So uh, depending yeah, on what day of the week I was working, depending on what venue I was at, I'd be there in my short sleeve poolside shirt or or my uh, my vest and more formal gear. And you could kind of get that sense like, okay, walking into a little bit of a different expectation each day. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. So how did how did you then get involved with you had mentioned mentioned Diageo Bar Academy and um and all the mm-hmm. tools it has and and what led you to want to compete in their bartending competition um so uh what led me to compete was i was actually encouraged to do it by my partner my my long-term girlfriend um who when she met me i was still working in santa monica uh i was uh, this was oh, just five years ago. This is my fifth year with the program. And she saw that I was interested in this larger world of bartending, this this kind of like world that like Leo uh, inhabits. And she was like, you are good at this. I think you would enjoy this. Why don't you give it a shot? And I was like, ah, it doesn't really seem like it's for me, but okay, whatever. And I, I entered and that's where I got exposed to the world-class studios and Diageo Bar Academy, because for anyone who is unfamiliar with the world-class program, it's not just a competition. It is also an educational platform and it's a community, uh, to even enter the competition. You have to complete either in person or online, uh, one of the world-class studios that lives on Diageo Bar Academy, which is cutting edge education about how to do draft cocktails or canning cocktails right now, or um, how, how to tie together uh, a story uh, or education about root vegetables uh, with Don Julio and underground agriculture. You have to complete one of these things before you can even enter. And then once that happens, it really becomes a community of people that support you and are interested in you. I entered that first year and I was incredibly fortunate enough to make it to the regional finals uh, in the West that very first time. And I did all right. And I wasn't sure if I was going to keep doing this, but then, uh, they gave you feedback. You actually get the judges notes about how you did in each challenge and a vague kind of ranking of like how well you did in that challenge. And that feedback, uh, really inspired me. It's like, okay, cool. I, I did better than I thought. I can do this. Okay, I'm going to get better next year. I'm going to keep coming back. And I think it's a testament to uh, the USBG and Diageo that this program grows every year, but so many people stick with it. This was my fifth year competing. Uh, there are other competitors who've been there just as long as I have, but you don't have to be doing it you know, five years, I actually don't recommend it either. It's a lot of work um, to do well at it and continue to grow. One of our top five finalists this year um, from Fort Wayne, Indiana, it was his first time in the top 50 of the competitors, made all the way to the final five and almost won. So there is always someone new joining the family that can do just as well and really inspire you and help you learn and continue to teach and grow. Yeah. Well, well it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing you won, even if it took you five years because <laughs> um, I don't know how many I mean how many people compete and tell us a little about like how like how does the competition work like all the different challenges involved because um, absolutely it's, it's uh, yeah so I I've done a lot of a lot of cocktail competitions uh, over the past five years 
Uh, and I truly describe this one as a bartender competition, not a cocktail competition, because it is designed to test all aspects of uh, you as a bartender or a hospitality professional. It's not just making a single drink and then presenting that over and over. Uh, from start to finish, uh, everyone who made it to the, t- the final five this year, I believe we created around 15 or 16 separate cocktails over the course of the challenges. Uh, and to answer your question, uh, hundreds of bartenders every year submit for this. Uh, they winnow it down to generally uh, a top 100 who then submit another uh, blind judge drink. And then they uh, take that down to the top 50 divided by regions and then on to the nationals. This year, of course, it worked a little bit differently because of COVID and it being fully digital this year. Uh, what they did is actually um, all the 2020 competitors um, we were two weeks away from starting regional competitions when uh, the first uh, lockdowns happened. So everything got put on pause. Uh, when they were able to regroup over the past year, and uh, they came back to all of those top 50 and said, you've already done the work for this. We are going to do a digital version of this competition with everything going on in the world, everything going on in your lives. Are you still interested in doing this? And to a person, that top 50 said, yes, we still want to be a part of this, which, again, I think speaks so well to the community that has been built around uh, these programs and this education. And from that point this year, we had two digital challenges that we all had to do. And then they went let down to a top 10 that did another menu challenge, essentially a bar consultation uh, challenge where we had a week to come up with a full menu and concept for an assigned venue. And then the top five, we did uh, my favorite challenge every year, uh, the speed round, where we had five minutes to create five cocktails live with the judges. And we were all given a spirits and an occasion. Uh, For instance, mine was Johnny Walker Black Label, and my occasion was Outdoor Music Festival. Not two things that always seem to go hand in hand, uh, but uh, definitely rose to the challenge to combine those through uh, Johnny Walker's message of sustainability and uh, growth and managed to create something that uh, resonated with the judges as much as the cocktails did. So they were, so because it's digital, um, they're watching you through the computer and, and, and compete on this speed round. How do they get to taste um, the different drinks? And then how, what, I mean, how was the format before COVID? It was, it was yeah. live in a so, venue, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, so before COVID, um, in the before times, as I yeah, like to say, yeah. I was it was it was a <laughs> yeah pre-COVID, uh, it was a, a live interaction. So um, after the first blind judging rounds, where you'd submit and uh, they essentially you submit online, and then they would make all of these drinks. Every single drink that gets submitted gets made and judged, which is amazing. Um, and blind judge, so they don't know who it is. There's no personal bias or anything goes on with that. Then once you got to the regionals, there would be uh, multiple challenges uh, spread either all in one day or spread out over two, usually two or three challenges that you would compete on and be judged live with the judges. The way it shifted this year was to an online platform, uh, which uh, is phenomenal. It's still up there. People can see it. Um, and see all the work that went into it. And what we would do is, uh, for the first couple of challenges, they were pre-recorded, meaning that we could record them as many times as we wanted to, which was a double-edged sword, because unlike a live uh, situation, if you screw up, you can hit the pause button and go back, reset, and restart. But also, you can sit there and re-watch your video as many times as you want before you submit it. So it's, how many times do I have to do this until I get it right? How many times do I have to do this until I get it right? So how many times um, did you do it before you got it right? <laughs> 
Uh, I I I think I did each challenge a minimum of nine times wow. before I felt like I got it, and yeah. I probably took the one in between. Um, then uh, what happens is those videos were submitted to the judges along with your precise instructions on how to make your drink. So this is, again, where I think that it challenges you as an educator and as okay. someone who very much loves training new bartenders, encouraging them, teaching them how to expand their skills. It's a test of that where... Literally, you have some of the best bartenders in the world. You have Charles Jolie, Julie Reiner, Chris Cardone, Katie Renshaw, like all these world-class award-winning bartenders who are making your drink, but they're only making it the way you tell them to. So you have to kind of think of it like it's a home cookbook recipe where it's open the oven, preheat it to 375, make sure that you keep an eye on it for 15 minutes till it's golden brown, that kind of an idea. So uh, they're making it the way that you would make it as well as you can describe it and tasting it and to a certain degree that takes a little bit of the pressure off because i know that they can make a drink uh it's it can only go up from there uh hopefully if you do it right uh and then for the live judging things like the speed round we were actually using a digital platform where uh, we were all connected at the same time being broadcast so they're watching the uh, speed round watching for technique skill time all the little things you watch watch for at a bar and then they would make the drink themselves again to your specifications and score it Uh, and each for that one we had five judges and each judge essentially judge a category of drinks so the same category for each competitor. So we didn't have a judge judging a, say, a Manhattan-style cocktail against a highball-style cocktail. Uh, it was something that they were great. This is all in the same wheelhouse. I can judge objectively uh, and ultimately uh, give great feedback and watch for the skill. Uh, it's also kind of a double-edged sword because they can go back and re-watch all of your, your videos as well. They're like, oh, I'm not sure if he or she remembered to put this ingredient in while they were talking about it. Oh, they missed that. Or I can go back and watch it. Uh, so they have a little bit more ability to scrutinize what's going on. Uh, but one of the things I do really love about this digital platform that they built for it, and one of the things I love about the change this year is this online presence. Because in in the before times, the pre-COVID, it was very much you could spend weeks or months doing these work to build these challenges, to build these experience, and then you do it once for five to eight minutes in front of two judges and the production team. And that's it. And if you competed in the Midwest, I out here in the West, don't get to see what you did. Um, But this year, every single bartender, every single challenge they did lives online. So their audience uh, is in the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people able to watch and appreciate the work that they did, uh, which I think is incredibly uh, uplifting for a lot of people. And it's also a great opportunity for uh, me as a fellow competitor to watch and learn from what they're doing and be able to kind of divorce from the competition because I've already done my bit. I can't change what I've done. So now I can only learn from what you've done. Um, And I really hope that going forward, that becomes a a part of it because having this work appreciated, uh, I think it is so great for so many bartenders, whether you win or not, like this is a, a learning and a growing experience. Yeah, no, that's that all makes sense. And I think it's it's great that they're able to create this online platform and keep the competition going and and make it successful. And um, what how so how are you preparing for the globals now that are taking place in Madrid, which I, I believe is coming up in July? 
Uh, yeah, uh, we uh, we actually just got our uh, full competition brief uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, so the wheels are turning and turning. Uh, it is again going to be a digital format um, uh, with uh, what they're calling avatar bartenders on site. So we will be streamed in for the judges in a bar setting uh, and there will be essentially a uh, avatar for us physically making the drinks while we do it on screen. So there's a different way of approaching it. Again, it's different challenges. You have to break them down individually and look at what's being asked for each of them. Um, so for me, the way to approach it is, I always say this, flavor is king. The drink has to taste good first. Everything else after that is um, icing on the cake, if you were, or a beautiful Instagrammable garnish uh, in the drink world. Um, so right now it's literally it's sitting down and plotting out, OK, what is the order these things need to be tackled, where these drinks come in for, what is this challenge asking for these flavors, for these innovations to represent the base spirits. Uh, the wonderful thing about this competition is the Diageo Reserve brand is such a wide uh, color palette to paint with all these beautiful benchmarks of the industry. It's not a uh, a single category where you're like, OK, rum drinks generally tend to end up this way. So I have to work with that. It's no, I can work with a gin. I can work with a whiskey. I can work with a rum. I can build these beautiful uh, uh, paintings, as it were, uh, with this uh, wonderful little color palette. Yeah, well, that's that's really cool. I was I was thinking I wanted to ask you: Are you is this your full time job now of of, of preparing and competing? Oh or, or, are you no, gonna, absolutely you're, not. You're like no. Where where are you working now? <laughs> I, I'm actually uh, in the process of designing a uh, the new cocktail menu and bar program for a uh, place called Fellow, F-E-L-L-O-W, in Westwood in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, we're opening to the public next week. Um, so it, it's really crunch time for me right now, yeah. well, that's <laughs> uh, doing, doing both of them on top of it. But, uh, it, I love the challenge and I really, I, I thrive under the, the creativity for it. Uh, and I, I do think that one feeds into the other, that my experiences with world-class, uh, directly affects the skills I can bring to, uh, an opening into a bar program. Uh, for instance, uh, I'm using a lot of the, uh, I've done in the past for my own experience, but I'm upping the game with draft cocktails for this new venue to be able to build complexity and have offerings with a tighter bar team because it is the reality that, you know, wages are, you know, uh, labor is always an issue, uh, and uh, everyone's trying to open, so uh, there's not as much staff to go around, which means there's going to be new people coming in. There's the next me that's going to be starting somewhere uh, in the next couple couple of years, which is awesome. I'm excited to meet that person, see what they bring to the table. Uh, but it's also about taking what I'm seeing as global trends and being able to translate that. For instance, uh, low ABV serves uh, or non-alcoholic serves are becoming a bigger and bigger part of bar programs and bar education, and and I think that uh, especially uh, as everyone's returning to dining and wanting to have a transportive experience, but at the same time still being mindful of, you know, how they're drinking and drinking responsibly, putting as much time, thought and effort into a low ABV or a non-alcoholic serve uh, ensures that everyone who comes out and joins me at the bar or joins us for dinner is going to have that same thoughtful experience and that same well thought out hospitality and never feel like just because they're not having alcohol tonight, that for some reason their drink is an afterthought. Well, I mean, 
it's going to be a great segue into my question for my last guest. But before I'll ask you that, I'll just tell you, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. your customer there. And also, yeah. and also I work with a uh, curious elixirs, which is a non-alcoholic, um, craft cocktail mm-hmm. that um, I'm yeah. a big fan of. So I, I've been, I've been, you know, I've been involved in seeing the changes happening within, within the low and no ABV uh, category and uh, booze free cocktails. So um, yeah. my question for my last guest, I had on uh, Diana Tandia, she's the chef and owner of Berber street food. And she wants mm-hmm. to know, can a restaurant find success just serving a mocktail drink menu? That is a very interesting and great question. I don't know if I've seen any bars being only non-alcoholic serves, um, but I definitely think that the places that are going to be successful going forward are going to incorporate a bigger and bigger part of that. Uh, I will say though that I, I, I'm a huge word nerd and uh, mocktail is always something that uh, mm-hmm. kind of gets to me because mm-hmm. it almost feels uh, like it's again, like, like the non-alcoholic aspect is an afterthought that we have cocktails and then this thing over here that kind of vaguely resembles it. And I don't know if we have a good word for it yet these days, which is unfortunate because we used to hard drinks and soft drinks used to mean alcoholic and non-alcoholic and that works so well, but the cultural change over the, past century has definitely changed our, our expectations of what that means. Yeah. Yes. I do. Th- I do think that there is a, a market for a successful bar program that offers a non-alcoholic experience. I think that the challenge for it becomes the profitability and the balance of the cocktails. Um, if anyone's interested in trying to design drinks like this or actually look at the hard numbers of this, I would actually recommend uh, the Diageo Bar Academy's ABV calculator and profitability calculator. Uh, it's something that allows you to just break down the minute parts of even the pricing of your juices and syrups. Uh, and I think that in a non-alcoholic drink program, uh, your margins are going to be different than they can traditionally be with say an alcoholic sale. So being aware of what that actual cost is would be the key to making a sustainable program that only uses non-alcoholic drinks. Yeah, no, that's true. And a lot of good points there. And, you know, it's funny. I, um, I had on Julia Bainbridge on my show, um, recently, and she has a whole book on called good drinks on, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I, after I, you know, the whole, I know she doesn't, she, we're talking about the term, you know, mocktails and I don't know the thing with, it's like when you say mocktail immediately, people know what you're talking about, but yeah. I, I mean, zero proof soft cocktail. Like I keep trying right. to like play around with other stuff, but I, it's nothing. I still kind of go back to the mocktail, even though it's, in, uh, it's simply a lot of people don't, don't like. Yeah, it's it's nothing. It's that's literally just the word nerd in me. Yeah, no, you're not the first. Uh, You're not the first, and I'm. um, So uh, yeah, I I think it's just it's it's a it it just goes right to the point. You know what people are talking about, but. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and I think I think that it's one of those again one of those conversations that's grown over time, uh, where it is now. I, I think that there may there was definitely a point you know, 15 years ago where 
uh, a, a mocktail or a non-alcoholic drink at a craft cocktail bar was probably looked down on. The bartender's like, why am I spending time with this? But as our industry and as we've grown uh, over the past 10, 15 years, I think that we've become more mindful of what that actually looks like and what hospitality looks like in terms of responsibility to our guests and their commitment to their own well-being. And now that we're coming to this point where we want to take this as seriously as every other aspect of our service, we're now trying to retroactively fit in a word and fit in a mindset that says, no, no, we're taking this seriously now. You're not just going to get a glass of essentially soda water that doesn't have a garnish. You're going to get something that's just as beautiful and thoughtful uh, as everything else that's on our menu. Yes. And, 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 and I'm, I mean, I'm seeing it across uh, you know, at at restaurants and and bars, the that there you can you can just see there's so much more thought going into it and the selections and it and that people are investing more in this and it's it's not just for people who don't drink alcohol at all. You know, sometimes people just absolutely want to for whatever reason um, maybe have something that's that's um, yeah more low. I I live in Los Angeles, the city of cars and traffic. I, <laughs> yeah. I am mindful every single day about where my guests are coming to join me, where they're going and trying to make sure that I am being responsible to them for the experience they're having with me and also trying to make sure that uh, I'm serving them in a responsible way so they can get home safely. Sometimes it's just that, hey, I would like another drink, but I can't have another martini because I have to drive. Okay, well, here's a low ABV serve or here is a non-alcoholic beverage. So you still can have the experience of being part of the restaurant and the bar and the community while still being responsible and safe. Right. Yeah. And you touched on this uh, a bunch, of, but I just mentioned the, you know, Diageo Bar Academy has all these a lot, so many tools and so many, mm-hmm. so many things that teach, um, teach, can advise people on, on low and no AB serves. And um, it's just such a great resource. So just, yeah, it really is. I highly encourage anyone if they're interested in more, go sign up. Uh, you can actually sign up and track your progress through it and you can share it with your staff to see who's done what uh, modules and things like that. So you all have the same shared language. I always think that's incredibly important for a bar team of making sure that everyone has the same shared language so they can communicate effectively with each other and move forward. Yeah, no, great, great point. Um, before we take a little break, just one more question. What is it that you love most about bartending? Like what, what, what is it? What do I I love most about bartending? Um, I, I think that I'd have to say the, the experience uh, of the room uh, when, when it's working appropriately. I, I love, I love letting people be transported to have an experience. I really do enjoy helping people just have a night out. So that guest interaction, being able to, uh, I have a theater background. Uh, so I always think about it as being on stage and that suspension of disbelief from the moment you walk in the door at the bar or the restaurant, you're suspending your disbelief that this is, uh, uh, just an experience about food. It's about the experience of being in the restaurant or the space. Sometimes that means just a quiet drink by yourself. Sometimes it means a beautiful meal, but doing all the work beforehand so that it becomes a seamless show and the magic is, and all the technical aspects are hidden off in the wings so the magic can be preserved. Uh, that to me is, is the thing I love most about bartending, doing all that work so that way 
someone can just have a beautiful two hours uh, where all they have to think about is the wonderful taste that they're having, whether that's a cocktail, a meal, or even the company and the conversation that they're having. That's wonderful. Love it. Okay, let's take a little break here. We'll come back. We'll play my speed round. I have my speed round. And uh, yeah. I, I have a solo dining experience this week. And also, as always, the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Managing a bar requires understanding more than just drinks. At Diageo Bar Academy, you'll find free training and resources to optimize operations, profitability, teamwork, and more, including bar management to step up your social media marketing and create profitable menus, masterclass events with global industry experts, and finance and budgeting tools to increase profit margins. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's diageobaracademy.com. D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Adam Fournier. He is the U.S. Bartender of the Year 2021 by the United States Bartenders Guild Presents World Class Sponsored by Diageo. So, Adam, it's time for my speed round, and I know you're a fan of, of these sort of Let's things. do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so mine's a little, mine is just, I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Great. Let's do it. Okay. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Uh, definitely a cocktail for me. Tasting menu or a la carte? Oh, that is, I'm going to say a la carte with the caveat that uh, I have been known to very much enjoy a, a wonderful night with a tasting menu. <laughs> okay. I believe you. <laughs> Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table? More options to try. <laughs> oh, oh what, say more to try. Got it. Oh, uh, more, more options to try. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Mm, that uh, uh, I I would love to see our industry move towards uh, an all-inclusive charge that allows us to offer fair living wages to everyone who works in the building. So I'm going to go with all-inclusive charge. Okay. Um, making drinks in a competition or making drinks behind the bar? Making drinks behind the bar is so much less stress. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Okay. How about the Cosmo comeback or no co comeback? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> 
I, I do. I do know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm aboard the Cosmo comeback. Why not? Let's let's have some fun with it. Let's uh, let's if look if if someone this is always my approach. If someone enjoys a drink, I'm gonna make it for you to the best of my ability. I might twist it a little bit. I might try to elevate it a little bit so it's not what you're making at home. But if you want a Cosmo and you walk into my bar, I will find a way to make you a Cosmo. Yeah, I saw I saw a little uh, a little poster, maybe a little rant from Julie Reiner um, a couple of days ago about this Cosmo comeback. <laughs> <laughs> Figured it would be a good one to ask you. Yeah, of course. Uh, okay, I have two more: um, cheese plate or dessert? <laughs> uh, cheese plate, one hundred percent. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Los Angeles? Los Angeles is where my heart is. All right. I hear you. And that's the game. <laughs> it's a great game. Much less pressure than the last speed Less round. stressful for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So um, this week we're skipping industry news. Uh, just going to give a little reminder that I have my All in the Industry swag available at allintheindustry.com backslash merch. And for my hat sales, I'm donating of the proceeds to the Independent Restaurant Coalition through the end of May. So go ahead and get your hats and support a great cause. My solo dining experience this week, here's the rundown. It's at Sona. The location, 36 East 20th Street, Flatiron, New York City. The concept, Timeless India in the Heart of Manhattan. The owners, Chef Hari Nayak, David Rabin, who was my guest on episode 169, Manish Goal, and Priyanka Chopra Jonas. So why did I go? Well, it's a hot new opening in the city and it sounded fantastic. So my experience, I had an early dinner reservation um, that was inside, now have indoor dining in in New York, so, um, and I'm vaccinated, so I went for that. I was seated at a two-top near the front. Uh, service was really efficient and and very helpful. I asked if David was there because we're friendly, of course, because he's been on my show and I've known him for a long time in the industry, um, but he wasn't. Um, but uh, next time I hope to see him. And I had a really great time. The food was wonderful and it was relaxing and um, just a nice experience. So what did I get? I had stuffed chicken wings with tangra masala and Meyer lemon dip. I got goat cheese and spinach samosa with fermented chili hot chutney. I had Floyd's Goan fish curry with coconut clam broth and red rice. And I also had their Sona chocolate gateau with cashew praline, caramelized bananas, and jaggery banana kulfi. So my take. It was all delicious. The wings were super tasty and hearty, but not not heavy. Um, I really enjoyed those, would recommend. Samosas were, were also great. I loved the combination of the goat cheese and the spinach. And Floyd's fish, which was a tribute to him, um, the 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 um, the curry broth was unbelievable. It was just like you just wanted to like dive in and lick the bowl. I mean, this was incredible, incredible dish. And I love the chocolate dessert too. Uh, so the ambiance, I'd say it's a sophisticated, more modern, elegant dining room with socially distanced tables. I'd say I'm going to say it's perfect for a third date. 
there being specific. Okay, so interesting tidbit. So this dish, Floyd's Goin fish curry, um, kind of alluded to, was dedicated to Floyd Cardoz, who very sadly passed away last year from COVID. He was exceptional chef, exceptional human being, and the restaurant created this dish as a tribute to him because he's he's known for this this curry dish. Um, and so I'd highly recommend getting that, but and also sending love to his wife, Barca. Personal fun fact, um, I mentioned last week that I was probably going to talk about this show coming up, this uh, restaurant experience. And so here I am. And just a flashback to last week when I talked about Damaka, which is another Indian restaurant, which I had a wonderful experience. They are reviewed today in the New York Times by Pete Wells and got a critic's pick. So congratulations to them. So the cost of my meal at Sono is $78. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Maybe it's a third date if I get a first and second first. Um, and their website is uh, sona-nyc.com. And uh, so there we go. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking, Adam, have you been, you probably haven't been here in a while because of COVID, but do you, do you come back to New yeah. York or do you visit? <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I, I used to, uh, try to get out there, uh, once a year, uh, at, at least, um, I, I miss the city greatly. I haven't been back since oh, over two years now because of, uh, COVID, but, uh, I, I miss it and I'm looking forward to being able to, to travel back sometime, uh, this year, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And I'm, I'm, I'm the same way with getting back to Los Angeles. <laughs> I miss LA. Yeah. So, um, okay, it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Brian Bystrong. He is the corporate executive chef at the Cornell Company's The Park and culinary program director of The Park's hospitality group called Table and Banter. And this is a 185-acre suburban campus that's in New Jersey. And Brian has, has worked in, in many amazing restaurants, um, and he, along with chefs, including Wolfgang Puck and David Boulay. Uh, so, Adam, can you ask a question for Brian? Absolutely. I would love to ask, uh, Chef, um, with the recent announcements of 11 Madison Park going completely plant-based for their new menu when they reopen, does he see this being a trend uh, in the larger scale in the restaurant industry, especially as a chef who works on more of a uh, corporate level scale of how that would be integrated into a more... Uh, I hate, I don't want to say middle of the ground, but more uh, egalitarian setting than, uh, say, the high fine dining of an 11 Madison Park. Yeah, it's a great question. Timely. It was big news uh, of that announcement with 11 Madison Park. So I will mm -hmm. ask him. <laughs> I look forward to hearing the answer. Yeah, me too. And um, it's that's the show. So thank you so much. I wish you good luck and your upcoming competition and and success <laughs> with your 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 new your new uh, bar that's opening and uh, I hope to get out to LA so I can visit. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure being here. Thank you for having me, and uh, I hope uh, yeah I do hope you get to be able to come out here and uh, join me at the bar at Fellow once uh, once we're open and everything is safe. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, wishing you much much success, and I hope to meet you in person soon. Same. So my guest today has been Adam Fournier. 
He's the 2021 U.S. Bartender of the Year of USBG Presents World Class, sponsored by Diageo. Their website is diageobaracademy.com and on social media at diageobarac and at bottledinbondla. I'm on social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you get a chance, we'd love if you can rate and review our show. Um, it would it would help other listeners find us and love to get your feedback. Thanks always to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks to Adam as well as to Laurel. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another new show. Hope you'll tune in then. Stay safe and well, and thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.